What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by David Lake. David, Miami comes out on Saturday and beats a talented Pittsburgh team, uh, moves to four and one. Um, me and you both kind of said that this would be a grinded out game. And it was a 31-19 victory for the Hurricanes. Give me your first real big takeaway uh, on Sunday morning as we do like a uh, morning after the game kind of review. Yeah, the, the big takeaway I think is, look, Pitt makes things, to your point, grinded out. Pitt makes things hard. And I think we saw that on both sides of the ball. But I think, you know, you could also make the point that on both sides of the ball, Miami – made the plays that needed to be made, came up in the crucial situations, whereas Pitt did not. And, you know, it was an ugly game. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. But I do think Miami was was clearly the better team. And, you know, beating Pittsburgh by double digits it is, you know, a fairly solid performance, scoring 31 points against a Pittsburgh defense that, you know, I think is maybe a top 10 defense in the country. Um, that's not easy to do. So overall, you know, it, it wasn't like a fireworks type of performance by the offense. Uh, and the defense, you know, was frustrating at times with, with the passing yardage allowed. But overall, they both sides of the ball played well when they needed to. For sure. Um, I think I texted you this right after the game. And I was like, did Miami just find a way to win on a day where Derek King really didn't have his A game? Now, I know yeah. um, he, he scored. I mean, but there were some some interceptions that were, uh, I don't know, bad. Um, but I, it seems like, you know, this wasn't his best game. And, and Miami still found a way to do it, right? Yeah, Derek was, was fairly average. I think that's fair to say. Um, I think, though, it is fair to recognize that, yes, while he was average, I do think he is the reason why they won the game. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's like kind of weird to say that, but I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, look, the, the rock step touchdowns where, you know, Pittsburgh is sucked in, uh, their front seven is, is sucked in because they think Derek's about to go for a designed run and he rocks back and there's a wide open Will Mallory or Cameron Harris behind the defense, that is because of De'Eric King's running ability and that the threat that that brings to a defense. I think, too, like he, he did scramble for some key first downs or yardage. He turned potential sacks into, you know, small gains or decent gains at times. So, you know, I agree. He, he, it was a fairly average game. Um, but I think at the same time, like, again, we said this following the Clemson game, but like, would Jaron Williams or Nikosi Perry win that game against Pittsburgh? I would probably say no, to be honest. Um, like I, I think the sacks would have piled up against those guys. And then, you know, like I said, those two of those explosive touchdowns were, you know, strictly because of Derek King's run threat. So he played average. There's no doubt. I do think we'll get into this, but you know, there was some drops. I think he did make some nice downfield throws, 
and they were contested catches. So it's not like they were definite balls that the receivers should have caught, but you would have liked to seen the receivers come up with one of those balls because they were nice, accurate downfield throws. Um, and, and, you know, those don't show up in the stat sheet. Those just show up as incompletions. So, um, but I agree, like the pick, one of those picks, you know, one of them was a tip, which happens. The bad one, um, he credited, and, and Manny Diaz too credited the Pittsburgh corner for kind of freelancing and breaking off from his assignment. He kind of just... And Derek, you know, both Derek and Manny Diaz said, Derek made the right read and, and went with the right throw in terms of where to go with the ball. It was just that Pittsburgh corner, uh, you know, showed some good instincts and broke off from, from what the play call was for the pit defense and picked them off and nearly scored a touchdown. So, um, but again, Derek needs to see that coming and it wasn't a good look. So average game, but at the same time, he is a big reason why they won that game. Uh, we can get more into the offense here in a minute. I, I do want to talk about uh, Miami's defense. We weren't sure if Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh's starting quarterback, was going to play. He ended up not traveling. So it was Joey Yellen who played for the Panthers under center. And they also had uh, Davis Belvey or what is it? Belvey? I don't, I don't know. Uh, Bevel. Bevel. Okay. He got one series, I think. Uh, but it was primarily Joey Yellen. I thought Miami – um defensively it, it was a pretty stout performance really got to like what the two defensive ends did and really the whole defensive line but I mean Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche um this was a a, a good game for them no doubt uh, you know Miami's defense made Pittsburgh one-dimensional so Pittsburgh you know could not run the ball at all and they they ran for 22 yards on 26 carries for the game. So that puts uh, Pittsburgh's backup quarterback, Joey Yellen, in a position to win the game from the pocket. And, you know, when it got to be garbage time-ish time in the third quarter, and Miami was playing a little more off, a little more soft coverage, he did find some success uh, throwing the ball to the middle of the field. There's no doubt about that. And, and you would like to see that maybe tighten up uh, you know, with any game, there are certainly areas everyone can improve. And I think that's going to be an, a point of emphasis for the defense this week. But overall, Miami's defense did, I think, too, like we need to understand how, and we keep preaching this, but the modern offenses are going to get yards. And right. Um, so, Pittsburgh's offense, even though it was the backup quarterback, um, they got their yards and they got into the red zone multiple times. And Miami's defense bowed up in the red zone, uh, forcing a, a field goal every time except for the time when Pittsburgh had the ball literally at the one-yard line to start a drive. Um, and, and that's just tremendous defense by Miami. And you could argue that was the difference in the game. And it probably was Miami's ability to uh, force Pittsburgh to kick field goals instead of getting some touchdowns. There was two drives. I think where Pittsburgh was inside the five yard line and they had to settle for field goals. 
So that's big time defense. You know, I think the modern, we need to start looking the, at the modern defense from a standpoint of, uh, are you allowing explosive touchdowns? How is your red zone defense? And what are you doing on third downs? And in those three areas, Miami's defense performed at a, a very high level. They didn't allow any explosive touchdowns. Uh, on third down, Pittsburgh only converted three of 17 attempts. So Miami won that. And in the red zone, as we alluded to, they forced a bunch of field goals. So I get it. Like the fans are frustrated that Joey Yellen uh, did throw for 277 yards. But at the same time, it took 46 attempts to get there. Uh, that's not that efficient. He completed 22 of those passes. And yeah, some of the guys, so there was drops by Pittsburgh. Uh, some guys were running open, but um, I think when you you got to understand the context of the game too. You know, Pittsburgh's kind of in throw it mode. You know, in the second, you know, third quarter, second half of the third quarter, trying to get back into the game, they're going to pile up some yards. It's just a matter of what type of scores are they able to get. And, and when you have confidence in your offense being able to go score which I think Miami does, Miami has confidence that their offense is fairly good, then you're okay with this style of defense of, okay, we'll trade touchdowns for field goals all day long. And, and Miami did that against Pittsburgh. How about Lou Headley? Can we give him like a helmet sticker stud. game ball? Yeah, stud. He, he flipped the field, you know, multiple times. That first half, it really was kind of a field position battle uh, between the two teams. And and Headley definitely helped Miami in that regard on a couple punts. Um, you know, honestly, at the the first two to three quarters, Miami could only score the ball when they did have good field position. So, um, you know, the fact that Headley was able to still back up Pittsburgh uh, a few times was helpful, was beneficial, and, you know, averaging 51.7 yards per punt, um, that's, that's a good day's work for a punter of any level, NFL level, college level. He, he had a great day. Let's talk about the linebackers. Um, I think, you know, Manny said the starters weren't going to change, but you know, and during the week he compared it to, like, NBA basketball about how minutes would change and whatnot and that kind of held true as Corey Flagg and, and Sam Brooks they were in there early on um what did what did you think of those units I, I thought you know for the second straight week Corey Flagg kind of uh impressed yeah I mean he held his own um you know I think so the the snap breakdown for those for those guys Bradley Jennings 40 snaps Zach McLeod 44 snaps so those were still the two starters, the veteran guys. And then Sam Brooks, 33 snaps. Corey Flagg, 23 snaps. So, you know, I, I think I agree. Like, Corey Flagg does show some nice things. Am I still – am I, like, necessarily sold that right now today he's better than Bradley Jennings? I would probably say no. But could he be by the end of the season? I think that is definitely possible. And so you got to keep getting flag game reps. Um, you know, I, I don't think necessarily the linebacker, like I don't think Bradley Jennings or Zach McLeod necessarily played poorly. Um, so, 
you know, I would expect to see this kind of snap count moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, Pittsburgh couldn't run the ball at all. They entered the game without much of a run threat, as we noted in the in the podcast leading up to the to the game. So it was it's hard to really get much of a read other than the snap distribution that, you know, this is what the Miami staff thinks of these players right now. And it is clear that they are intrigued by what they've seen from Corey Flagg so far. Uh, Gerard Harrison Hunt, how about that sack? What was that in the second quarter? Yeah, that was a big red zone sack, right? So yes. that was one of those situations where it forced a field goal. You know, honestly, the entire defensive line uh, had themselves a day. So yeah, like you know, everyone. You, <laughs> yeah, you look at the the pro football focus, right? And honestly, like if if anyone if anyone finishes the game with three pressures, three quarterback pressures. That's a good game for, for most defensive linemen. So here's the guys that Miami had that totaled at least three pressures. Jordan Miller, he had three. The next guys I'm going to name all had four pressures. Quincy Roche, Nesta Jade Silvera, Jared Harrison Hunt, and Jafari Harvey. And then Jalen Phillips had the best day in terms of pressures with six. So all those guys got after it. Um, with Pitt, you know, Quincy Roche kind of said after the game that um, he played with a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to, he wanted to make some sort of statement that he was the best defensive end uh, on the field that day because Pittsburgh featured two good defensive ends in their own right. So Quincy and I'm sure the rest of the UM defensive line wanted to make a statement and they did. They won the line of scrimmage. Uh, Joey Yellen, is definitely more of a stationary quarterback compared yep. to Kenny Pickett. And that, that did hurt Pitt. There's no denying that. I think that was probably the biggest difference when you say, okay, they really missed Kenny Pickett in this regard. I think it was Kenny Pickett's ability to avoid sacks or, or buy time. I think Yellen threw it about as well as Kenny Pickett would have thrown it around. Um, but the ability to run and extend plays Kenny Pickett brings that. Joey Yellen does not. Uh, to Corey Couch, I thought he was solid yeah. in the slot. I mean, I know everyone's going to point to the 277 yards they gave up through the air. Uh, but he he kind of rose to the occasion, I, I thought, you he know, did. three breakups. Yeah, no, they tested him, man. They, they, they tested to Corey on an island with some deep shots. They tested him the most, honestly, of any DB. He had 10 targets. Um, uh, uh on defense and he allowed only four receptions for 34 yards. So that's a very good day's work, three pass breakups. Um, you know, he kind of showed that he has that ability to play with poise when he's being tested downfield in coverage. And, you know, I think DJ and Al blades have gotten better with that, uh, but it hasn't always been consistent. And to Corey showing that ability, in my opinion, was was kind of a nice little development in that game. One final thing I got on the defensive side of the ball, and this really isn't, you know, wasn't a defensive play, but Isaiah Dunson, man, on that yeah, uh, faked punt made a like bigger play than any play that than Christian Williams made at Miami. So, or in his brief Ooh, stint, right? Shade. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, look, it's a play that we kind of forget, I think, at the end of the game, right? But it was a huge moment. Uh, yeah, no, it was. Pittsburgh was going to convert that. Like, they had the numbers. It was Isaiah Dunson against one-on-one against a blocker. And yeah. if Isaiah doesn't make that play, they convert that first down, that fake punt, and it might go for a very, very long game. So... Isaiah Dunson trips up the dude and, you know, Miami gets the ball in pit territory and I believe they go down and score. Correct. So it was a huge play. Um, You know, the the game was only still, I think seven, nothing at that time. And um, you know, Pittsburgh had a chance to really kind of get some momentum going and Isaiah Dunson didn't let that happen. Okay. Let's take a quick break. Uh, Other side, Talk about Miami's receivers, uh, thoughts on the offense, and then a little like big picture ACC talk. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, David. um, uh, Preview podcast, I think I said, what was the over-under on touches for Jalen Knight? It was like five and a half. Um, He smashed the over on that. I think he had a carry on that first drive. Uh, he went seven carries for 25 yards, um, also caught five passes for 27 yards. Uh, I think he's a guy that got to keep feeding the ball. Um, yes. It's just when he gets it, like it's just, I don't know, he's got like a different feel or, or a gear. I mean, he just seems explosive and they need to keep getting him involved. Agreed. And, and you know, I pounded the table after that Clemson loss because – um, at Clemson, Jalen only had two touches, I believe. And so that needed to change because he is one of the most explosive players they have on their offense. And, you know, the 12 touches he got between rushing and receiving, uh, they need to keep doing that. Now, he didn't necessarily get loose, but just the threat of him, uh, you know, he's going to get loose eventually. And uh, so I liked that adjustment. I liked, you know, giving him the ball – in the passing game, you know, five receptions, even though, again, it only went for 27 yards, that is a threat that defenses need to start accounting for. So I think that was a nice development. I also, too, liked the development of using Mark Pope more in the quick and short passing game. And this is probably the best way to utilize Mark Pope because, you know, I think through these fir- the first four games, he was kind of – they were using him more as like a downfield X receiver type guy. 
I think we've all kind of come to the realization he's not that type of receiver, but I do think he can be dangerous with yards after the catch. So, you know, he led the team, I believe, in targets. Maybe it was Jalen Knighton. Jalen might have had six targets. Mark Pope, I think, caught all five of his targets uh, for 46 yards. So, again, not crazy yardage, but he was given plenty of touches. And, you know, instead of – I think instead of just forcing deep shots, deep shots, deep shots against this Pittsburgh defense, um, Rhett Lashley looked for ways to get these playmakers that can pick up yards after the catch, get them the ball in space, and see if they can generate big plays. Now, they, they didn't necessarily do that, but Rhett Lashley was able to uh, scheme up, which we can get into, scheme up some big plays. Um, that happened, you know, big touchdowns that happened without uh, Miami having to chuck the ball deep, which, you know, as we continue to see is not a strength of this team. And yet Lashley still was able to generate big plays against this Pittsburgh defense. Well, we knew it was going to be difficult for Miami to like run the ball. Um, I think we kind of outlined that coming into this. Right. Pittsburgh's defensive line is, is good, but Miami still got 109 yards on the ground. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but um, compare it compare it to the season average coming in Pitt only uh, allowed 52 yards coming into the game yeah I mean like Miami tried to run the ball and I mean found some success I just thought it was interesting that Rhett decided to, to you know stick with his his game plan and, and trust his guys and do that um, and maybe it's because the receivers man you, you mentioned Mark Pope I still thought it was a pretty disappointing day just for the group in general. I know Mike Harley yeah. scored on what was really a broken play of sorts. You know, Derek scrambling sure. around, finding a wide open guy. But, um, you know, there was a shot to D Wiggins where it's like, man, turn around and go for the ball. Um, you know, I just thought it was yeah. another ho- ho-hum effort from them. Yeah, it was a, there was a sh- – I think there were both deep corner routes. So, D Wiggins had an opportunity – I think the ball hit him in the hands again would have been a tough contested catch, uh, but D couldn't reel it in. Uh, Keyshawn Smith, I think was also a deep corner out again, ball kind of hits him in the hands. Now he gets raked by the Pittsburgh defensive back, you know, across the arm as the ball's coming in, it would have been a tough catch, but the ball hits you in the hands would have been nice to see him reel that in. Um, I will say, they did give Keyshawn Smith more snaps this week. Um, they gave him 33 snaps. So, you know, they, they're trying to get him more involved as a true freshman receiver with some deep downfield speed. I know I, I'm intrigued by, by his skill set. Um, and so I guess we will see how that develops throughout the season. But yeah, I mean, I think Overall, they only attempted three deep shots in the whole game, which if you look at the offenses that, tip, that go against Pittsburgh, typically there is a lot more deep shot attempts than only three. Um, so Brett Lashley, I think, is telling us, you know, look, we know what we have with these receivers right now. They're not necessarily confident or capable to win those contested catch battles. So I'm going to have to scheme up big plays. And so that's, that's what he did with those, you know, Derek King, one man run fake, 
you know, pull up and toss the ball to the wide open guy in the middle of the field plays. Um, so I think Rhett Lashley does deserve credit for that. Uh, the Keyshawn Smith prop was one and a half catches over under. I think you took the over one catch for 16 yards. Yeah, he had three targets. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to keep it positive. I'm optimistic. <laughs> I think I do. Again, I'm intrigued by Keisha, man. You just watch him run. He's definitely a fast guy. Um, so keep getting him on the field. Keep trying to build that confidence. Um, you know, I think there's something there. What did you think about how the offensive line performed? Well, I was going to bring that up. Um, Zion Nelson in there at right tackle. Um, you know, I thought it was a serviceable effort. I mean, it wasn't excellent, yeah. but then again, you got to realize who you're going up against. Correct. Uh, you know, Derek bailed them out with his elusiveness. We always talk Correct. about what what would happen if Jaron Williams or, or someone else was back there. I, I thought it was good. I mean, it was obviously good enough to win, um, but, you know, it wasn't like you – know, I mean, I would probably give it a B. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I'd go B, B minus. And look, I think the point you make about, you know, what is the context of who they're going against? I think Pittsburgh's front seven is a top 10 group in the country. And, you know, I think you could argue their defensive end duo, you could argue is the best in the country. It's certainly in the conversation. And I think that is where, you know, we can highlight how Miami's offensive line performed fairly well. So, you know, Patrick Jones, who uh, entered the game leading the country in sacks with seven sacks, did not have a sack in the game, and he had only one quarterback pressure. Um, Rashad Weaver, who led the, t- the country in quarterback pressures coming into the game, only had two quarterback pressures against Miami and did not have a sack. So Miami handled their business against those two guys. Now, Pittsburgh was blitzing linebackers and, and you know, certainly some of the defensive tackles had success uh, pushing the pocket at times. But in terms of limiting the stars, the star edge rushers, Miami's offensive line did a pretty good job in pass protection against those guys. Um, the previous two, no, three games, Weaver and Jones combined yeah, combined to average 12 quarterback pressures in those three games. And in this Miami game, they only had three pressures. So, you know, did they play perfectly? No. Uh, was there, you know, they certainly couldn't get the run game going. But again, that is by design. That's what Pitt does. They load the box to stop the run. So, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but Pittsburgh entered the game allowing opponents to only run the ball for 52 yards per game. Miami doubled that number uh, on Saturday. So within the context, I do think Miami's offensive line had a solid day. So B, B minus, I think is a fair grade. You mentioned Zion Nelson starting at right tackle. After the game, Manny Diaz said, it's a situation where I guess Jared Williams banged up his hand uh, at Clemson. and." I guess Manny said he could have played against Pittsburgh, but they just thought it'd be best to hold him out this week. So we'll see what this means against Virginia here coming up. Oh, kind of segues. Uh, I wanted to 
toss my two cents in here uh, and see what if you agree. Uh, I don't think Miami will face as like, yeah, we're not going to see a defensive line as good as Pittsburgh's the rest of the season. And honestly, I think when you look at the schedule, the they played the best defensive lines that they were going to see all year to date. So that should be good news for the offensive line. Like you got Clemson out of the way, you got Pittsburgh out of the way, and you got UAB out of the way. Like I don't, you know. Yes, I agree. Is that I, fair? Yes, I think you know Virginia will do some tricky things with their linebackers who also rush the passer. Um, but yes, in terms of like strict defensive lines, yes, you're right. Like they're not going to see as good of defensive lines as they've seen. Now they're going to have to be able to pick up blitzes against teams like Virginia and Virginia tech um, and even UNC at times. But um, you know, I think we can, we can say that Miami has, has already played the best defense defensive lines, I guess. I'm not willing to say defenses yet, but defensive lines that they will have seen this year. Um, so let's talk about big picture ACC Miami three and one in the conference. Um, Virginia's up next. Then you got a trip to NC state, NC state quarterback, Devin Leary. I think I just read yeah. this morning. He broke his fibula or yeah. some, something like that. He's, He's gonna be out gonna for be a month. Out. Um, then you got at Georgia, at Virginia tech, Georgia tech, wake forest, North Carolina. What are your thoughts on the schedule now? Cause Saturday was uh wild. Um, North well, Carolina yeah, the, this could be this could be like a um, stretch where Miami plays a bunch of backup quarterbacks. We'll see um, because this week against Virginia, Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong was held out uh, because of concussion protocol. So he sustained a cushion the previous week. Um, I forget who they lost to. Was it Wake Forest? NC Anyways. State then Wake for then Wake Forest. Okay, so NC State, he sustained a, a concussion. He was held out uh, this week against Wake Forest. And, you know, you just never know with concussion protocols, you know, how long it takes a guy to come back. He certainly could come back for this Miami game, but we'll see. Um, NC State quarterback, like you said, Devin Leary, he'll, he'll be out because he broke his leg. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's, you know, I don't think we can overlook any of those games, Virginia no, or no, NC no. State. Like, they are certainly losable. But m let's just say Miami handles its business. You're looking at that Virginia Tech game on the road as a key, key, key game for Miami in terms of, you know, where do they stand in being able to potentially get into the ACC championship game. So, right. you know, right now I think – and you were, you were, I was talking over you, but. Against Florida State, um, which, you know, further, further shows just how 2020 in general is weird. And like how winning 31 to 19 against Pitt, you can't take it for granted in 2020. Um, you know, I think in general, college football is like what, three or four good teams. And then you could argue like, five through 40 any of those teams can beat each other on any given day right and, and Miami is in that five through 40 uh team bunch um so you know 
it's going to be interesting. I do. I, I kind of like how things are kind of stacking up for the rest of the season for Miami. But again, uh, you got to handle your business. And we haven't even talked about this, just how, you know, Miami did come out and, and do what it needed to do following that Clemson loss. Um, right. No, I mean, it, you know, there was, it wasn't, everything wasn't, didn't go perfect, but, um, this wasn't a complete collapse. Like they came out right. and they didn't look flat. So like, I think Manny deserves a, some, some credit for that for sure. Yes. So, you know, I don't know if they slayed that narrative, so to speak, but they did answer that question at least for one week. And, um, you know, I think also from a Miami ACC big picture standpoint, you're going to want to have the Clemson Notre Dame game circled on uh, November 7th, right? So that I think is the week before uh, Miami is scheduled to take on Virginia Tech. So um, ideally, from a Miami perspective, you want Clemson to beat Notre Dame, which, you know, Notre Dame struggled against Louisville. We'll see, you know, each game is its own entity. Um, but, uh, you know, Miami needs Notre Dame to, to take a loss or two um and they they need to handle their business the rest of the year because they would they would own the head-to-head tie against either uh virginia tech or well i guess if they beat virginia tech then virginia tech would have two losses and if they beat north carolina north carolina would would have two losses so if miami wins out which again who knows if miami wins out and notre dame only loses to clemson I don't know what happens, but, um, you know, as a Miami fan, you got to start rooting for Notre Dame to drop some games. Yeah. I'm looking at a bowl projection from right now, uh, from Brad, Brad Crawford at 24 seven sports. He has Miami in the orange bowl against Georgia. Give me that matchup all day. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I w- I'd be here for it. But yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts just on on you know Miami standing in the ACC? Like, do you think well, it's a shame think, they don't play Notre Dame, right? Right. No, I, I I guess my takeaway from yesterday is like, look, man, Miami's still very much alive in this. I think it's Clemson, and then you got the field, and uh, you know Notre Dame doesn't. You know, I mean, people weren't giving Miami much credit for going and winning at Louisville. Um, I'm like that's a big deal. I mean, look, Louisville played Notre Dame well, and I I don't know. Like you just you can't. I mean, you should value every win you're getting. And, yeah. And beating beating Pittsburgh, who's got in it, like they have talent. Um, I think it's you know they they handled business like they they need. Uh, you know, I you could look back at this win a, a few weeks from now and be like, you know, that that was so important because it just kept them on course i mean if they had came out and lost i think there's a good you know not a good chance but things could have got seriously interesting i think we need to look at this 2020 10 game conference year kind of like the nfl in a way like you know you can't take wins for granted every week is going to be a grind because you're not you don't get any cupcakes this year and i'm looking at notre dame schedule next up they have pittsburgh they got to go on the road to Pittsburgh. 
Um, yeah. And if, if Kenny Pickett plays in that game, we'll see how that goes. But Notre Dame also plays Clemson. Notre Dame also plays North Carolina. So, you know, those are kind of the three games. If you're a Miami fan, you're going to want to see if Notre Dame drops, you know, those games. All right. Anything else, David? No, I think we're good. And, uh, you know, on to Virginia. We'll get into, we'll get more into Virginia here in the, in the coming weeks. And, uh, you know, weeks, looking forward days. Come on, days. Sorry. In the coming days. And uh, look forward to it. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the other side. Uh, if you haven't checked out the site, please do. InsideTheU.com. Tons of coverage, pro football focus grades, David's thoughts. Uh, I'm going to start writing some recruiting stuff this afternoon. So, um, you know perfect time to uh to uh you know give us some clips yeah man thank you take care guys later